The text for the message this morning is Genesis 26, which we just read. It's good to have your Bibles open. We won't read it again, but there'll be, as we go along, there's references to different verses in this chapter. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you could see from reading this chapter that the main message of God for us has to do with our responsibility as pilgrims in a foreign land. And as we study this passage, we can see Isaac moving from being a starving, dependent pilgrim, being chased from place to place, to an established, wealthy landlord, receiving the respect of a foreign king. Like we sang in Psalm 18, this foreign king is coming before him and trembling before him. And you could see that here we have Isaac then being honored by kings in the center of God's will in this promised land in Beersheba. That's how the chapter ends. As chapter, six, as chapter 26 uh, shows us how God continued his promise to the wandering Abraham through his pilgrim son Isaac, he also reveals to us how we can serve him as aliens and strangers in this world. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and he suffered uh, at, at the hands of enemies and how he reacted to that, we see how the church today is to live in the world. We are in the world, says Romans 12, but not of the world. And like Isaac experienced, it can be difficult and there can be opposition but when we trust in God, he blesses us with what we need to serve him. The blessing of life, hope, peace is like a great treasure that sets the church apart from the world. But it's also a great treasure that gives us a responsibility in the world. As spiritual descendants of the patriarchs, we are pilgrims who hold on to a blessing that is much greater than the treasure, the physical treasure that the patriarchs had. And so we also have a greater responsibility to those around us and the world around us. As God reveals himself to Isaac in a foreign land, he shows that he is a God who blesses his church, who blesses Isaac for his faithfulness for his trust, which is seen in his separateness. And he uses Isaac then to reveal his glory, to bless the nations, which is, that's also seen then in his love to those around him. So we see the two themes of being separate in the world and that we are separate so that we can shine in the world. Those themes continue today. I preach through the gospel of Jesus Christ under the following theme. God preserves the hope of salvation through the church he placed in the world. And we'll see that he does this by blessing those who remain separate. And in second place, by calling his people to show love. So we look at the beginning of Genesis 26 and we read there was a famine in the land. And if you don't have food, there's not much more that you can do than to move to another place. And for Isaac, that actually meant leaving the promised land, the land that God had promised to his descendants. 
And so you see in verse 1 that our text makes a reference to an earlier famine of Abraham's time, whether that's the famine in Genesis 20 or Genesis, probably Genesis 12. Uh, It appears that Isaac wants to do the same thing that Abraham did. So Isaac wanted to go from the promised land uh, through the land of the Philistines to Egypt in the hope that Egypt, with its regular rise and fall of the Nile River, would have food for him and his family. And as he's heading down to Egypt, he, he comes into the country of the Philistines, Gerar, and he comes into contact with King Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And when he's there, the Lord tells him to stop, stay here. Now Isaac hasn't really moved that far from where the famine was, the promised land. He, he's still on his way to Egypt and God says, stay in this place, which means to Isaac, continue to suffer the effects of this famine. Stay here in the midst of these aggressive Philistines. When God speaks, we we pay attention. We see that God is carrying out his plan. And today we can look and we can see that, that God wanted to use Isaac to carry out the promise of the promised Messiah. He wanted to use Isaac as an instrument in his hand to bring the church to Jesus Christ because the the promise of Christ is connected to the land. God had promised Abraham that he would give him many descendants in that particular country and that particular country separate from the world would then be a blessing for all generations. Isaac would show the consequences of the blessing to Abraham. You can see that in verses three and four. Stay in this land for a while, says God to Isaac, and I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So the Philistine territory actually belonged to the the promised land that God was going to give to his people, as well as the interior part of the country. And God says, stay here. You will be king of all these lands that you see. Your generations will be king of all that you are seeing. And then we could see the similarity to what we read in the New Testament. We see that we also are pilgrims of a land that will eventually be our own. No matter what adversity we may be seeing or experiencing, just like Isaac, we can look around and we can say that one day we will be kings over all this land that we are seeing. It's a, it's a reality of the victory of Jesus Christ. We know that one day all that we see will be ours as as church of Jesus Christ. The problem is that we can't see that right now. We have to be patient. We We have to trust in God. We see that in our text as well. When you compare Genesis 20 and Genesis 26, you can see the similarities of Abraham's interaction with the Philistines probably 60 to 80 years before 
Abraham had been in the land of the Philistines. There was a king who was named Abimelech, probably just a title for king like Pharaoh. There was a commander named Philcol, probably another title in the, in the land of the Philistines. And then when, when Abraham was there in Genesis 20, he, he faced the same situation that Isaac faced, was that these Philistines had the, had the practice of stealing a man's wife and then killing him. Both Isaac and Abraham knew this. And so Isaac, who had wanted to flee the famine, to go to Egypt, he is told by God to stop in this dangerous country of the Philistines. He is afraid and he lies. And he says that his wife is actually his sister. And then we read that after he had been there for a while, the king actually sees Isaac together with his wife, caressing his wife, and he knew right away that Isaac had lied to him. He recognized behavior that belongs only in a marriage relationship. He recognized right away, he said, if that's how they, they treat each other, they must be husband and wife, not just boyfriend and girlfriend or friends. They must be husband and wife. And so he's very upset that Isaac had been lying to him. As we look at that, we, we see something amazing. Isn't that amazing? A foreign, wicked king who knows what belongs to a, a marriage. He knows God's laws concerning the correct way to live also with respect to husband and wife. It shows again in Scripture that the unbelieving, although they do not worship God, they do know what God wants to see in this world with respect to marriage. They may not like God's will. They may not keep God's laws, but they cannot dispute the order that God has established and the resultant suffering for those who live otherwise. No one will argue, and not even today, that purity in marriage and relationships is something that pleases the Lord. They might think it's stupid, they might think, well, that's a, that's a crazy thing, a way to live. But people know what God wants. And so this king of, of, of the Philistines, Ahimelech, Abimelech, he, he sees Isaac together with his wife, and then he, he mentions that he puts Isaac and his wife to shame. He puts Isaac to shame by asking him about it, by, by talking to him about this. Now Isaac may have thought that he had been protecting the church by following his father's example and lying that his wife was actually his sister. But this foreign king shows him that he was only exposing his wife to public harm. And he was also in danger of compromising the purity and the separateness of the church. And so God acts. God uses this foreign king to teach the church, to teach Isaac a lesson. God uses this foreign king to establish and to maintain his church as something separate in the world. And so we read that edict of the king in verse 11, Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. 
The king is saying, anybody who doesn't allow this man and his wife to remain separate in our midst will be punished. You can see God's hand behind this edict of the king. You see, since the promise of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, since the place of upholding God's eternal laws, his, his, the ordinances of creation, since that's only found in the church, it is important for the church to remain separate in the world. The hope of salvation in Jesus Christ is only seen and is only experienced in the church. It's important that the church remains separate from the world. That's a theme that is repeated many times in the Old Testament. It's a theme that, that we read in, in, in the New Testament as well. 1 John 1 verse 15, it's a very well-known verse because it's also referred to in the form for excommunication. It says there that we don't, as Christians, we don't love the world or anything in the world because the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so God uses the king to maintain the separation between the world and his church. And then we understand why the last verses, 34 and 35, are here in the same context. We see this, we understand why Isaac and Rebekah were so sad when Esau married Hittite women. Esau was rejecting the distinction that God had just reestablished through King Abimelech when he married unbelieving women. Then we also understand why Paul warns that those who follow Esau's example, yes, even after Jesus Christ, they don't have a clear understanding of the distinction. As church of Jesus Christ, there needs to be a separation. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18, where Paul asks, what does light have to do with darkness? And so God uses this king to maintain a separation with respect to the marriage. But he also maintains and he shows that his people are different by blessing his people in a very rich, amazing way. You can see that in verses 12 to 14. Don't forget that these countries are just coming out of a, a severe famine. So Isaac went from famine to, to bumper crop a hundredfold. And everything began to grow. In verse 13, it's, it's emphasized three times the word great is used, the great in Hebrew. So you can see in the translation we read, he became rich. His wealth continued to grow. He became very wealthy. In verse 14, there were many flocks and, and many herds and many servants and when anyone grows so rich, so quickly, after a famine, it's very clearly the blessing of God himself in his midst. And Isaiah could, or Isaac could see what God meant in verse 3, when he says, stay in the land and I will bless you. When we follow God's commands, his laws, and his instructions, as we see in verse 5, his requirements commands, decrees, and laws like Abraham did, then God blesses his people. 
In fact, the results are staggering. And the fact that the Philistines were envious shows that God did not bless them in the same way that he had blessed Isaac. God shows the separation one more time by pouring out his special blessings upon his church. And so the church stands apart one more time from the world. And we see that often in our own lives. Even in the midst of of suffering, even in the midst of persecution, God pours out his blessing on the church by giving them peace, by giving them this, this manner of dealing with hardship in a very calm way. And we don't live in a time of persecution. We live in a time of of great wealth. And even so, you can see how richly the Lord has blessed each one of us. When we are faithful, when we trust in him, we can use an example, even the school next door here, how the Lord has so richly blessed the school that we can have our, our own education. It's even a level of education that surpasses that of those schools around us. That's sort of... Sort of is what happening, that's what's happening in our text. Isaac stands out from the world because the Lord has blessed him so richly. And the Philistines around him, they grew to resent him. As church in 2016, we continue to pay the cost of being blessed by the Lord. When God blesses his church that quietly seeks to serve God in spite of the pressures of society. When we continue with with a family, with a husband and a wife and children, and we go from generation to generation, and the Lord blesses our families with, with peace and joy and much celebration, and the world who tries go a different way, they see that, they become envious. All of a sudden, instead of talking about a a separate community, they begin to spit out words like those exclusive, fundamentalist, closed people. They make it sound as, as if the church of God who remains separate, who shines in this community, in this world, is, is a group that they have permission to persecute. That's exactly what happens in our passage. We read in verse 15 that the Philistines stopped up the wells that Abraham's servant had dug in the time of Isaac's father, Abraham. I'm sure any farmer in our midst appreciates how serious it is to block off the water for Isaac's farm. Very clearly, they're sending a very clear message. uh, We don't want you to be here anymore. But their attack is more serious than just trying to get Isaac out of the land. They're not just taking Isaac's source of life. For in doing this and in blocking up the wells, they were also being untrue to the promise they had made to Abraham in chapter 20. They had promised Abraham that he could dwell in this, in any part of their land. And so those wells served as an investment and a sign of one's connection to the land. Those wells told the world that Abraham had been here with the blessing of the Lord and that his family had a stake in the land, that he trusted in God's promise, that he was hoping in the coming Messiah. 
Hebrews says that in Hebrews 11, verses 18, or sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. And so he stayed in that land as a stranger, looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. That's the promise. That's the context. So now you see what those Philistines were doing. Abraham was in the land. He had expressed his faith. He had said, I am here. I have hope in the Messiah. And the Philistines came and they tried to erase all that. They tried to deny the history, the, 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 the promises they had made. They tried to give the, the king an opportunity to send Isaac and his family away. They were envious of God's blessings. They were hating the church in their midst. And the leaders then removed the evidence of past kindness, of past agreements in an attempt to marginalize the church, to marginalize the faithful. You can see it's never been easy to be a holy people. It's never been easy to be separate from the world to receive the blessings of the Lord that we enjoy every day. Isaac's family was the church in the world. And not only was his family used in God's plan to send his only begotten son but it also shows us then what happens to us when we attach our lives to Jesus Christ. What should you expect if your Lord is called the suffering servant? The Lord Jesus was despised and rejected by the world. God blessed him, God accompanied him, God gave him the strength, but he always suffered at the hands of men while he was here on the earth. And he came, the Lord Jesus, while he was on earth, he looked at his church, he said, you can expect the same thing, Matthew 10. He told us to be holy, to be separate from the world. He told us not to love the world. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us whether we are needy and vulnerable or richly blessed there can be no doubt, brothers and sisters, that we are pilgrims in the world. Whether we are like Isaac who had to go to the king in the hope of having some food at the mercy of a foreign king or whether we are like Isaac in, in all his riches and blessing, we can expect persecution. We may be tolerated when we are different, but we will never be loved by the world. And the question is, are we willing to remain firm in our faith, trusting in God even in the midst of persecution? It's not easy. It's easy to sit here in the pew and say, sure. But in the moment of persecution, the moment of tempting and testing, the question comes and so the Lord speaks to us and he encourages us also in our text as he accompanies Isaac. He says, do not be afraid. God reveals to Isaac and to all the church that he is working in us and through us and with God on our side, no one will be able to stand up against us. We are separate because we belong to the creator of heaven and earth. 
Isaac soldiered on. The altar he built when he finally settled down by the Rehoboth well in the open spaces shows that it was his desire to live in communion with God, to offer sacrifices and thanksgiving, to remain firm in his hope of salvation. But this hope of salvation was not something that he could hide from his neighbors around him. And although Isaac and the church keep themselves separate from the world as God also leads and guides them to do that, although they are not affected or influenced by the the worldly perspectives or the way of seeing life that comes from below and not from his word, they are at the same time a light in the world. God preserves the hope of salvation through the church that remains in the world by calling his people to show love. And so we think about the church in the world. We think about this in in history. And you can see the different ways that people react to the world. People interact in the world. You see hostility of God's, the hostility of God's enemies against the church and there's different reaction. There have been those who fled to caves. There are those who present themselves to be burned at the stake. There are those who reconcile with the world. Every period calls for different reactions. When we look at Genesis 26, we see that Isaac at first respects the king's request. He moves away from the king's camp as King Abimelech asked. But at the same time, he doesn't go very far. He left Gerar to go to the valley of Gerar. He just went a a little bit away. He remains nearby. And then he shows that he's not pleased with the Philistines' attempt to erase the name of Abraham from their land, to erase the name of, of God from their land. And so he goes back to Gerar. He reopens these wells that the Philistines had filled in. And he gave them the same names his father Abraham, Abraham had done. You can see it's a, it's a statement that Isaac is making. It's a sign of resistance. He says, I'll leave, but I'm not going to go as far as you want to. You cannot erase the, the name of the Lord from the land. Isaac does not allow the Philistines to rewrite history. Isaac does not tolerate the enemy's attempt to to erase the sign of God's promises from the land. Isaac is praying the petition, thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come. And so God used Isaac to show love to the nations around him by keeping him firm in the promises. He would not allow the world to erase God's word, God's promise. There would always be a way back, even for the nations, if they would humbly submit before the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we see resistance, we see a firmness in the promises and in the word. At the same time, 
after his resistance and after showing this confidence, we see that Isaac lived in a relationship of great patience and gentleness in his dealings with the nations around him. The Lord did not allow Isaac to forget that he was at that time just a pilgrim in the land. Isaac had to remember that the fulfillment that one day he would be king over all these, these lands or his descendants would rule over all these lands was something in the future. And in the meantime, he was a pilgrim. And although we can see more of this reality of, of the rule that we will have in Jesus Christ and we could see more than Isaac could because we know the eternal king of the universe by name. We know he is Jesus Christ. We know he is our Lord. We too must still recognize that we are pilgrims in the land. Like Isaac, we know that this place will later be given as our own inheritance. And so because of our confidence and our trust in God's superior power and love, we can be patient in God's promises. We can rise above the petty attacks and the quarrels that were so clearly exemplified by the Philistine servants who, who kept quarreling over the wells, who kept quarreling over the blessing that God was pouring upon Isaac. Each well that Isaac's servants dug and then was reclaimed or claimed by the Philistines served as a testimony of Isaac's godly confidence and faith in the city whose architect and builder is God. The well with living water in the valley, verse 19, was named Essek or Dispute as a testimony against the Philistines who refused to submit to Isaac's God. The next well was named Sitna or Opposition to remind the future generations that God's child Isaac was the more gentle, was the more gentle, that he could not be blamed for rebellion. When we trust in God's promises, we don't always need to fight for every single right we think we have. For we will remember that we are just pilgrims in a land that will eventually be ours. We don't always have to insist on our own way. Isaac didn't say, I dug this well. It's mine. But he recognized he was a pilgrim. And although he could have claimed that as his own, he didn't give in to the petty quarrels of the Philistines around him. And when we re remember that we are pilgrim, it helps us to show love to those who are around us. They think it's their land. We are passing through. It's not ours fully yet. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't the, recognized as the only king. And then finally, Isaac manages to find water in a well that was not disputed. He gets to the end of the dispute. He comes to a place, he calls it Rehoboth. It means open spaces or room. God rewarded his patience and Isaac recognized that the Lord was actually using the Philistines to drive him back to the promised land, to the center of the promise. 
And so he, he builds an altar for himself. And as he is there, the Lord appears to him and says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. It's verse 24. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. After resisting the attempt to erase God's name from the land, and then after gently moving on to find the outside of where he could live in peace, Isaac could experience a little bit of what it's like to end the pilgrimage. He built an altar. He had some rest. He called upon the name of the Lord. It was a foretaste of the eternal rest that he would enjoy together with all God's people in the work of Jesus Christ. That's how Hebrews 4 talks about it. It's a blessing that we also can enjoy every, every day, every, every Lord's Day, when we have a, a rest from our regular tasks to celebrate our salvation in Christ, to worship God in this beautiful church building without fear of persecution or interference, at least today. Maybe you felt that even as you were singing Psalm 66, or all the hardships and of the week passing like fire and water, and, and then the Lord says, into my temple there's rest. We, and we could celebrate that. Sort of like Isaac, as he came to the end of that pilgrimage, and, and, and here he was in a place where there was room. And he could stop, and he could build an altar, and he could worship the Lord. We can imagine Isaac at that point just breathing out a sigh of relief. It's like sometimes we come to the Lord's Day and we can, you can just, you don't have to get up early. You can sit down and you can have a cup of coffee on your couch looking out in the beautiful sunshine and you have this rest, this peace. And then there's a knock at the door. And when Isaac sees King Abimelech, together with Ahuzath, his counselor or friend, and Philco, the commander of his forces, the, the delegation from the Philistine country, he's, he's not pleased. He says, what brings you back here? You were hostile. You were mean to me. I'm finally alone. I have some peace and some rest. And here you come, knocking at the door. And although we are, we are blessed with temporary rest, the world is still out there. And by God's grace, even unbelievers will want to share in the hope of salvation that gives us rest. You read about that in 1 Peter 2. They could see how blessed we are. They want a part of that. And when the Philistine delegation shows up, that's what they say. Verse 28, verse 29, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. Now you are blessed by the Lord. King Abimelech recognized that Isaac was special perhaps even recognizing that that's the God of, of marriage, that's the God of, of truth, and perhaps feeling the calling to submit to this God as well. We, we don't have a lot of details about what was in his mind. We can see that he, he comes, he does something amazing. He humbles himself before Isaac. He submits himself before Isaac. The knock at the door, when we think we're all at peace and at rest, it calls us to, to more action. And Isaac recognizes this, and so he, he has a feast. 
It's a big feast for the Philistine delegation. You see how, if you were visiting, you can imagine the whole scene and how Isaac got up and he, he said, what are you doing here? And they said, we recognize your God is all powerful. And again, Isaac is, is humbled and he says, come, come and enjoy the feast. Let's have peace. And the next morning, their hearts warmed by the, 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 the feast and the, and the celebration. They could shake hands and they could agree to live peacefully together. As far as it depends on God's servant Isaac, the doors of the church would remain open for those who are contrite in heart. That's what we say today too, right? As far as it depends on us, the doors of this church are open for anyone who is contrite of heart, who, who wants to serve the mighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We enjoy peace. We're very well blessed. We have so many great things that even make us stand out. Perhaps there are unbelievers who are envious of the peace in your family, the joy that you experience. But that doesn't mean we stop. And our rest is, although it's even temporary, we don't put the blinders on and just keep our eyes looking down. The world is still out there and the world can see God in our lives. And as our country spirals into liberalism and our government makes decisions to normalize the suffering of those living in broken families rather than providing hope for the weak, for those who are suffering, as our government is, is failing its very own citizens by legalizing the killing of babies and the elderly as a solution to their problems, the hope of salvation that we have will become brighter and brighter and brighter. We know so much more. We, we know the Ten Commandments. We know the will of the Creator of heaven and earth. We know of His love and His compassion in Jesus Christ. We have the Word of life. We, we see the power of the Holy Spirit who, who transforms wicked sinners like we are into faithful servants of the Lord. We live in peace we know that we are living in a land that will eventually be our own inheritance. We have this superior wisdom, the superior perspective and understanding that comes from the Word of God. And then we look around at the world, sometimes knocking, sometimes trying to take away our blessings, sometimes envious. We're disgusted, perhaps, difficult to contain our disgust. Then we see our chapter today, we see how the Lord leads, how the Lord Jesus interacted. We see how we're called to shine as a light, something different in this world, maintaining the hope of salvation. How we're called to insist on defending God's holy word from all attacks, and yet doing this with patience, with gentleness, and with compassion. We remain firm, but we're wise and compassionate. And may we be comforted to know that the darker the world turns, the brighter we shine. The more that society is hurting one another, the more, the hope, more hope we as a church have to offer to the world. And when you and your family shine, then God shines. Because he is the one who preserves the hope of salvation through the church 
that he places in the world by blessing his people who remain separate and by calling his people to show love. Amen.